When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. To a new episode of Land Grant and Holy Land Stick to Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Timonini on Stick to Sports. We do talk about Ohio State athletics, but more often than not, we avoid the X's and O's of said sports and dive into what is going on around the periphery of the games, as well as whatever else is keeping us occupied and entertained in between. As always, I am joined by Land Grant Holy Land West Coast Bureau Chief Jamie Urich. Jamie, happy halfway through 2022. Thank you so much. Happy halfway through 2022 to you too, Matt. It seems like one of those made-up things like in Alice in Wonderland, like a very merry on birthday, but... Oh my gosh. I'm into that this year, though. That's the vibe of the year. Oh, really? Why is that? I don't know. I just feel like the the year... Like, I don't want to celebrate 2022. I want to celebrate, like surviving half of it that's fair that is very good point we're gonna kind of talk about that through the lens of pop culture by talking about some of our like favorite pieces of pop culture so far in 2022 at the end of the episode in our recommendation section which might be fairly long to be honest with you because that is generally what we do but (laughs) jamie we were planning on getting back into a regular potting schedule in july anyway but with the news last week uh it kind of made it a necessity that i talk to you specifically because you grew up in the biggest city in the Big Big Ten footprint. You went to, objectively, the Big Ten's flagship institution. And now, somewhat surprisingly, you are once again living in the middle of Big Ten country. Uh, as LGHL's resident Angelino, what was your first response to hearing the news that USC and UCLA will officially be joining the Big Ten come 2024? Okay, so my first response was not an analytical one or deciding whether this was actually a good thing or not. My first response was, Oh, thank God the Buckeyes are going to play out West. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's very fair. Like not just a Rose bowl, not just a bowl game. I will get to go to games regularly. And, and I like really, really love both USC and UCLA stadiums. Like they're just fun. Of course. So I was like, this will be, these are going to be fun road games. For me to be at as an OSU fan, I was selfishly so excited. Um, and like my roommate had the same response as as some of you yeah. may know. She uh, went to that school up north. Yeah, so, but the same response of like, yeah. oh my gosh, I have to like go to games. Like it's, it's, I think for Big Ten fans who live out West and don't have the opportunity to see their teams play regularly, um, it's a it's selfishly like a fun thing. 
Now I will say my friends who went to USC and UCLA who regularly attend games had the exact opposite reaction that I had. And they are very unhappy. What, what, why is that? Is it because they are losing the traditions of the Pac-12 or they don't like the Big Ten for some specific reason? Or are they nervous about playing what is decidedly a, a better level of competition? What is it about the move that they do not like? Because from an athletic and institutional standpoint, it is going to bring them a lot more money, at least to their schools, which you would imagine would trickle down into the football programs and other sports as well. Well, and it, so it's interesting to that point, Matt, because my my little brother um, just graduated from Tennessee, but obviously mm-hmm. as an SEC graduate who is really a Buckeye fan at heart, like great, really pays attention to college football. So he texted me to be like, what do you think? And he was like, you know, UCLA is going to go four and eight in the Big Ten every season. And I said, yeah, at first, but to with that money, with that kind of harder schedule does come better recruiting. And so I do think that they're going to be able to kind of play the long game. If they Um, want to, I think that's the difference. If that's the difference between UCLA and USC, like Chip Kelly has been at UCLA for, I don't know how many years now. And he has got them to a point where I don't know that they're, they can get much further. I think he's hit their ceiling because the, administration at UCLA has long been known for not really giving a shit about football um, or sports in general. So if this additional money that comes for being a part of the Big Ten, um, the Big Ten is in the middle of negotiating its its next TV rights deal, and it is expected that they will be the first conference in college football history to secure a rights deal for more than $1 billion per year. Um, If that's the case, they're going to have a lot more money and how much they actually invest back into the football program is yet to be seen. But in theory, you're absolutely right that they should be able to upgrade facilities. They should be able to pay assistant coaches more, you know, whatever happens with NIL stuff and and collectives and all those things that could potentially be influenced as well. So they should be able to. And I assume USC will uh, will do all of those things. But UCLA, I'm a little more hesitant as to what their plan will be moving forward. Right. And I do think like for USC, even for the players, like if you're being paid for your image and likeness at this point in time and you are playing higher profile games and winning them, that means more money for the players, too, in terms of their personal deals. So, um, I do, I do think that knowing that you're going to have these high profile games, like also, like if you win those games that boosts your draft prospects, if you're going into the NFL, like these are all things that players are considering as they choose their location too. So, um, I, I think that probably, especially at USC, UCLA maybe remains TBD, but yes, my USC and UCLA fan friends, um, are I think bummed that this probably means the end of the Pac-12, and at least in the, at least and as we know it now, yeah, absolutely, yeah, certainly, and like they're a little worried about you know the big rivalry of the Big Ten is OSU Michigan, whereas like USC UCLA is a really big rivalry out here, and I think they're kind of worried that that tradition will fall by the wayside because of OSU Michigan always being the like kind of top dog. And for, while I am out here, like selfishly, we get the Buckeyes out West. They were like, we're going to have really late kickoffs and that's going to (laughs) suck. And I was like, Oh, you know what? I didn't think about that. 
You mean like having? See, I don't know that we. I, I think. I, I think that we will see more uh, of games with USC and UCLA, like be twelve thirty local time kickoffs, or maybe four p.m. kick time. Like I don't think we're going to see a lot of Big Ten traditional Big Ten teams in like that Pac twelve after dark window. Like I would be shocked if you see a USC. I don't know, Rutgers game. Well, maybe USC Rutgers because no one gives a shit about Rutgers. But you're not going to see USC versus Ohio State or Penn State or Michigan or even like Wisconsin or Iowa kicking off at at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Like I I think that those bigger games will be kept to the traditional noon or 3.30, maybe 7, probably 7 o'clock too, uh, Eastern time windows. You you think that there will be later games in that though? I think um, if, well, so like the primetime games are pretty early here, right? Like the yeah, primetime game four, kicks off at, yeah. at 7.30, 7 or 7.30. So it's usually like four or five here. So that's not terrible. But I think that like, and I think that's the bigger possibility is that we get those primetime games. If you have a really good like top 10 matchup between USC and one of the big 10 schools, like they are going to stick that in the primetime slot um, as they should. but I think it was kind of the concern was like those kind of lesser games. And this was coming specifically from UCLA fans who were like, yeah, are we going to end up being the night game for these kind of smaller schools and have to stay up to watch like a, watch like a 10 PM kickoff. And I was like, well, first of all, we'll never kick off at 10 PM because that's 1 AM on the East coast. But like, yeah, I mean, you might I don't but I agree I think that that might be like a TBD thing um and we might it's really probably going to be more like you have to get up at nine o'clock to watch your game in the morning which is like how the NFL handles it and um well that's what that's what's interesting to me especially with like USC and, and potentially UCLA down the road but like we know that as I just talked about the the Big Ten football rights the the first, the top half of those rights have already been allocated to Fox. And we know that Fox likes to put its biggest games of the weekend at noon on Saturdays, which would then be, of course, 9 a.m. Pacific time. You mentioned the NFL does this fairly regularly, but there's been a ton of like actual research and noting that when a team plays a game at body clock 9 a.m., they are at a significant disadvantage. I, I have to wonder if USC and UCLA and potentially Oregon and Washington who have made it known that they would like to join the Big Ten as well, whether or not they have got some sort of stipulations that say, look, we're not playing in the noon window. We'll play in the 3.30 window, which is 12.30 body clock time. Um, but playing even on the road at noon Eastern time might be something that they're not willing to do, both from a competitive standpoint, but also for their fans as well back on the West right. Coast. Because you don't want to lose. I mean, whether or not they have this TV deal, like you, you don't want to lose the advertising or whatever if people stop watching the games because they don't want to get up at nine a.m. Like, it's yeah. just it is. It does get a little, a little dicey um, in that regard. Also, I think it's something that um, is interesting is like the amount of travel expenses that oh, this yeah. is cost these teams to bounce back and forth between the like you cannot bus to california you can bus from california to columbus like no this is gonna be and not that they're always taking buses within their own conference either but like 
but even not even football, but like the field hockey teams. And it's been reported that all of this, all of the sports will be joining the Big Ten except for USC's beach volleyball team. Everything else, because I don't think there's a beach volleyball. Yeah. Anybody. But like even the the non uh, football, men's and women's basketball, the Olympic sports, like that's a huge travel uh, expense that apparently was part of the negotiations. We don't know what that means, but it's been reported that that's been part of the negotiations as well. But like, it's not just for USC and UCLA going east; it's for the 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 current existing Big Ten schools going west as well. Right, and it's like okay, so like the the women's volleyball team. Uh, indoor volleyball is expected to just like pay to fly back and forth to play Penn State all the time. Like, come on. Um, although actually having Penn State in in the conference for volleyball is probably a probably a good thing because Penn State tends to be really competitive. So that's a good like trial run of how strong your team is. Um, but that's a whole other thing. I do think that that, that I mean, I'm curious to see what the what the negotiations bring as far as the travel. Cause I think that like, it's a financial cost. And to your point, it's, it's a physical cost as well. Yeah. And we know that with the, I mean, the time difference to Hawaii is um, much greater than between the Midwest and California, but um, the, the, the basketball tournament that's in Hawaii every year, like teams opt not to go because yeah it takes a physical toll on your body to be bouncing back and forth between time zones like that. The so other, th- yeah. I mean, we, I, I mentioned the fact that Oregon and Washington have made it clear that they would like to also be considered for big 10 membership. And apparently the big 10 has told them we will keep it under advisement, but we would really like to wait and hear what Notre Dame would like to do. And currently Notre Dame is, partially a member of the ACC, not technically a member of the ACC, but plays half of its football games in that conference. Uh, But it is not tied to the ACC's grant of rights agreement, which means that nobody in the ACC can leave that conference until 2036, unless the ACC adds members on its own. Um, So while it might be nice for uh, the Big Ten to add like a North Carolina or somebody like that or for Clemson or Florida State to go to, to the SEC. That's not going to be feasibly possible for another 14 years unless the ACC adds a team making that rule no longer uh, applicable or they let them out of those agreements. But that Notre Dame is not beholden to that. I remember back in the day when Jim Delaney, the former commissioner of the Big Ten, thought that they had an agreement to add Notre Dame. And at the last minute, Notre Dame backed out. And even when I worked at the Big Ten in 2004, 2005, it was known around the office that under Delaney's watch, that Notre Dame would never be asked to join the Big Ten again. If they asked to join, that would be something different. Um, Obviously, there's a new commissioner now. Kevin Warren's the commissioner. Uh, I think... It only makes sense at this point for Notre Dame to to join a conference and to join the Big Ten, even though they are not technically in Chicago. They are pretty close to Chicago. So growing up within a stone's throw of South Bend, what would you think about Notre Dame coming in and being at this point the 17th team in the conference and presuming there would be at least one to three more teams added after that fact? Um, I have a couple of thoughts about <laughs> of course, it. Yeah. First is that 
that is a brutal schedule for all of the teams, like not just the Buckeyes from a selfish perspective, but like you're thinking, if you think about it, like the Buckeyes could reasonably end up playing USC, Notre Dame, Michigan State, Michigan every year on top of like any of that kind of outlier, like Iowa's who are, have these like pockets of being top 10 teams and then kind of fall out a little bit, but like, that's brutal to just have like more than half your schedule consistently be teams that are like top 10, top 15 teams. But they might say the SEC does that every year with every team pretty much. That's true. Um, yeah, that's a good point. My other issue is that I, there, like, I understand all of the benefits to both the conference and to Notre Dame to have them align with the Big Ten. There is a part of me that's just like, no, screw you. You don't get to be part of our conference at this point. Like, we tried it. You backed out. You clearly, you have had all the time in the world to align. And I know you've got your, like, lucrative TV deal, but now you don't get to benefit from that at this point. Also, to the St. Mary's fans in my the the, the yeah, many people St. went Mary's to college, St. Mary's. Yeah. It's the all girls college in South Bend that is up not a, they're separate universities, but they have like reciprocity. So the women at St. Mary's get Notre Dame student football tickets and things like that. So the St. Mary's fans in my life, you are innocent, but the Notre Dame fans in my life, I want to see them suffer. They are so annoying. So annoying. I have family members who work at Notre Dame. You are annoying. I don't want you in my conference. Like, let me be That's clear. totally fair. And my brother just went to a Notre Dame, Tennessee game. And he was like, I've been to OSU Michigan games. I have played Alabama. Like I have never seen such disrespect from the other team and from the other fans as I did at that Notre Dame game. And I was like, I told you, like, they just, they think that they're better than everyone because they're not in a conference. And I, I don't want them. I think that is a oh. very fair thing uh, <laughs> to not want, but. Um, Unless we're just going to humble them and like knock them on their butts year after year. See, but I, I think, think that's good enough. I think that that might not happen. So ask me again after, after the season kicks off. September 2nd. Yeah. Yeah. Ask Uh, me again after Labor Day. Yeah. Um, Real quick, let's wrap this up. If, if let's leave Notre Dame and Oregon and Washington out. If, if the big 10 sticks with the current 16 teams, the 14 existing ones in USC, UCLA, how would you prefer they break down the schedule? Would you, want those two teams to join the West and move one West team over to the East? Would you want them to get rid of divisions? Do you want them to do, uh, to get rid of the nine conference game requirement? What are your thoughts on how the schedule should play out with the two West coast teams being included? Um, I think, I think initially it makes sense to add them to the West. Um, and, and my guess is that that would be the case anyway, because the West teams are only two hours ahead. Like all of the teams in the West are in the central time zone. So I think that also just from a physical standpoint, 
and a, a scheduling standpoint, like a noon game in Chicago at Northwestern is at 10 a.m., which is a lot more feasible um, for like West Coast fans to get up and watch. So I think that probably makes the most sense initially. Um, I would like to see them. I don't want to say like do away with with divisions, but I would like to see some sort of breakdown where it's like maybe teams of four that I, I don't know. I think that there's, yeah, like little pods and you play your pod every year and then, and then we mix up the other five games. Yeah. I think that's, that's something that um, a lot of people have talked about. I think uh, our Jordan Williams recently wrote an article uh, advocating for the three, six, six model where you have three protected rivals and then you play, another six one year and then another six another year or maybe it's in two years you go home and home or whatever and it rotates those years i'm in favor of getting rid of the nine game conference requirement in theory so what that would do is you would still only have three non-conference games that you could schedule against whomever then in my theory you would have eight conference games but instead of having that nine conference, ninth conference game, what you would do is actually something that they tried to do a couple years ago with during the COVID year where they were going to have this like weekend of champions and where obviously the championship game would be the, the leader in the East versus leader, leader of the West. And then they were supposed to like break down games accordingly. Um, but that didn't happen because of COVID and all that stuff. I would like to see something like that to where you would have a weekend that would essentially be a semifinals into the championship weekend. So like maybe the top, if you're not doing divisions, it's not like the winner of the East versus the winner of the West. So maybe you do the first place team versus the fourth place team, the second place team versus the third place team. They play to go to the championship uh, and then have other interesting games, avoiding repeats um, and all of that stuff. But, you know, having an interesting weekend, I think that would be a huge draw for TV. It would get you an opportunity to have teams match up that wouldn't have the opportunity uh, to do it every year. That way, like if the schedule was rotating and like, let's say USC and Michigan state who are not protected rivals, they were not playing every year. They had a great game in 2025, but they weren't on the schedule in 2026, put them together in that weekend. If neither of them were in the top four, I think something like that would be interesting. And in the way that we are making everything for a television viewing experience, I think that would be really interesting. And, and adding two teams, on a completely different coast would be the perfect time to shake things up. And Kevin Warren needs to do some things that are interesting to kind of solidify himself as the, as the commissioner of the conference, obviously getting those two teams is a huge bonus. Um, But I think that would be a really interesting way to kind of approach it. It'd be great for TV. It'd be great for competition. It would be really interesting um, and would kind of alleviate some of the issues of getting rid of divisions when you don't play around Robin and still trying to make sure that you get your best potential playoff teams into that uh, conference championship game. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, we're going to take a real quick break right here. But after the break, we're going to come back and talk about our favorite pieces of pop culture from 2022. So stick around. All right, we are back. And Jamie, we have gotten through the first six months of 2022. I don't know how or why we were all asked to do this, but it is 
Uh, been one interesting year so far, and it just keeps continuing to get more interesting and more interesting. And by interesting, I mean like the viral hellscape that it actually is. But one of the saving graces for I know both you and me is entertainment and pop culture. So I wanted to get with you about what your favorite pieces of pop culture were in the first half of this year. Um, and I don't, we didn't really talk about how we were going to break this down, but I will say you see a lot more movies than I do. So I don't really have a ton of movies on my list, but I assume you have some on yours. Do you want to start with like your favorite movie or movies from 2022 so far? Absolutely. Um, there are two that stand out. The first one is RRR, which I knew I wondered if you were going to mention this one. Matt, you've heard me talk about it. It is, there's no way that this gets bumped as my favorite. Like, it is my favorite movie of 2022 so far. And there's absolutely a 0% chance that anything else will top it before this year is over. Um, I have made my entire family watch it with me over Zoom. I have seen it in theaters several times. We had a very interesting experience at the AMC when we went to see yeah. it. it. There's an intermission in the movie. So they couldn't figure out how to play the second half of the movie. They gave us all a free ticket and said, like, please go home. We will not be showing the second half. And then a week later, they made it right. And I have never been in a crowd that was that rowdy like from the time the trailer started chris pratt got booed during the jurassic world trailer and i was like uh, oh we are in for a ride today and it was like constant just clapping along with the dance numbers so rrr is a um film coming out of india it's i actually think it's not a bollywood film um it is not it is from a different uh like if, if it was like if Ho Bollywood is the equivalent of Hollywood, this would be like something made in New York, like another major city. So it's not technically a Bollywood movie. Correct. And there are three translations of it. Like you can you can watch it with English subtitles, but the the dubbing of the actual like Indian language, there are three different dialects that it was that it was in that you can watch it on Netflix. The version on Netflix is dubbed. Um that didn't take away for me because I don't speak the dialect. Um, and the actors who did the original filming did their own dubbing. So oh, it's cool. still their voices. It's still the same like emotions. Um, and that all aligned and worked really well for me. You can, there is like, um, like a streaming service for Indian films that you can do a free trial for. And I, and then like buy for a month or two, whatever, or continue. Cause the films coming out of India are spectacular. And that does have the original recording um, in the Telugu language. Yeah, so, and I, will say, I will say, you mentioned Telugu. Uh, RRR is a Tollywood movie, which produces films in Telugu, which is the, the language that's spoken in the southern parts of, of India. Yes. So um, it is just, I don't want to spoil anything because you watch it and you're like, there's no way that what I just saw there's no way that anything's going to get crazier. Like you're in the first five minutes of the movie and you're like, well, obviously this is all the big action and it is three hours long. And every sequence is just more action packed and more exciting than the one before it. People's jaws were on the ground. People were like jumping up and leaning toward the screen and being like, holy shit, what the hell? Um, it's crazy. And it is so spectacular. Um, I believe Matt, you may be able to fact check me on this, but I believe it is the most expensive film to make in Indian history. Oh, maybe. And 
it was, they, I mean, it is worth every penny. It is a spectacle. And from what it was described, one of my um, college roommates is Indian. And she was saying that this is like the Titanic of India. Like when Titanic came out in the United States and it was just in theaters for like a whole year, basically. And that's all anyone wanted to talk about. That's what RRR is in India. Yeah, it, um, it, it had a budget of $72 million, which doesn't sound like a lot for American movies, but it is the most expensive expensive Indian film ever made. It is a spectacle. Like, run, if, it sh- if it's screening in theaters by you, which it is in, like, a handful of select cities, run to see it. Um, my brother considered driving to Nashville from Chicago to see it in Nashville because he loved it so much on Netflix uh, and wanted to see it on a big screen. It is absolutely spectacular uh five stars and then my other one is top gun maverick oh my god really if you bash this film in my presence i will get on a plane to florida and we will have work so so here's what happened my brother and uh his partner they went and saw it and both he liked it she liked it they loved my brother texting me he's like we've got to go see top gun maverick like this was on a friday so we went and saw it on Monday and I was like, all right, fine. I kind of despise everything that Tom Cruise stands for, but, uh, all right, I'll go see it. And I was, it was fine. Like it was good. It wasn't amazing to me. I, I, the, the one movie I was going to mention, uh, I, I, my brother and I, and my, his daughter, my niece, we went and saw the week before and I liked that a lot more, which we'll get to, but like, it was fine. Like it worked. Uh, I teared up at certain parts, which is not that big of a deal for me because I do that at everything. But like I was expecting more based off of all of the the adoration that it was getting. Um, I mean, I just vehemently disagree. I had I would go. We have like a group of friends who go to the movies on Tuesday nights and, di- you know, it's a it's a big group. So different people can come on different weeks. It's not the whole group every time. But uh, every time people are not able to go. And it's just like me and two or three other people were like, should we see Top Gun again? And we just continue to go back. It's what is it about it that you love so much? Uh, big planes go fast. Jennifer Connelly in her MILF era. Uh, I mean, fair enough. I, I Listen, Tom Cruise. I don't trust him and I don't like him. And I agree with nothing that he stands for. But I will say watching Nicole Kidman do the AMC placement and then have um, like kick in and be like, welcome to Top Gun Maverick. I was like, what year is it? I love yeah. this. Uh, um, heartache feels feels good when you're here. Yeah, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. And then a Tom Cruise kicks in and you're like, oh, man, this is so perfect. My little like 1997 self is ecstatic. Um, it's it's the planes. It's the callbacks to the original film. And I think the thing that I don't love about a lot of the like Marvel and action films nowadays is like, there are so many sequels that have already been announced that you kind of know going in that they're not going to like, you're watching it. You're like, well, I know they can't kill you because you have three more movies coming out that have already been announced. But I was watching Top Gun and I was like, any of you could die at any point. I have no clue how this is going to end. What is your thoughts on the theory that this movie was really just a 
death dream uh, for Maverick that in that f- opening scene when he was going, spoiler alert, Mach 10 or whatever, he actually died and that everything that happened afterwards was his brain kind of trying to make peace with everybody in his past especially because there's like nothing really specific like they never say who the enemy is they never say where they're going it's just very vague and nonsensical and that might have to do with the fact that it's actually just maverick's brain trying to fix everything that he did wrong in his life through this crazy mission that actually doesn't make any logical sense I think that that is silly. Like it's, it's Top Gun guys. It's not that deep. It's just not, they didn't put that much thought into it. It's just, it's just planes <laughs> Clearly, go fast. Yeah. Like it's just planes go fast. That's, that's it. They're not is, thinking about like, is the enemy in rut? Like, we don't know. We don't it's need Canada, to know. Right? It's Canada. Canada is our enemy, right? I, it, it must be certainly Canada or Russia. I mean, that's really all that could be. I it's think really, yeah, it's my, I, I, I was thinking Russia, but it, really could be it's more fun if it's canada it's way more fun if it's canada or like plot twist it's just like one of our states that's it's they, colorado it's alaska it, yeah. sarah palin has turned uh alaska into its own country and they are enemy i'm fine with that that's fine yeah so i have not seen a ton of movies this i watched a bunch of movies at the beginning of the year to prep for the oscars but a lot of those are like 2021 movies so i'm not going to count those but in terms of like the legit 2022 movies that i've seen i've really only gone on gone out to movie theaters and seen like the big blockbustery type things like i've seen you know doctor strange i saw um everything everywhere all at once i i saw uh, obviously, Top Gun Maverick. Um, I'm scrolling through my list here if there's anything else that I've seen. Um, not really. There really hasn't been a ton of, of other movies. But the one that I am going to mention that it will, I will say is my favorite movie that I've seen in a movie theater this year. You already mentioned it. It's uh, Jurassic World Dominion. So, Matt, I am going to hang up this call. Well, let me just tell you this. I and my brother and my niece did not like this movie at all. But I liked it because it didn't take me long to realize that this movie's a comedy. Like if once you realize that this is this is a movie where they're in on the jokes, like I I laughed a lot. Like I thought that some of the, the ridiculousness was done on purpose. I thought a lot of the, the the little like sly jokes were really funny. Like there's a moment, and this isn't a spoiler, I don't think, but there's a moment towards the end of the film when a giant dinosaur walks in front of a big ornamental piece that has a big circle and it turns into the Jurassic Park logo. Like I laughed out loud. Like, is it a good movie? Probably not. Did I enjoy the hell out of it? Absolutely. I thought it was so bad. Like it's nonsensical. You talking about like the nostalgia of Top Gun Maverick seeing the original stars, uh, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, Sam Neill, B.D. Wong, uh, like seeing them back, like there's tons of nostalgia there. I would have probably preferred if we could have gotten rid of all of the Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard stuff, because for somebody or for people who are supposed to have been a couple now for like three movies, they have like negative on the chemistry scale, which is quite shocking to me but if you would have given me laura dern jeff goldblum sam neil bd wong uh dewanda wise who's new uh to to the cast in this um even throw in a a little bit of uh, isabella sermon who plays the young girl uh 
that is like the Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard's adopted daughter. Like she was good. And I liked um, uh, Mamadou Athi, who is the head of communications at Bias. And like basically everybody other than Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, I actually really enjoyed and thought did a good job. And once I realized that this was a movie that was poking fun at itself throughout, I I liked it. I liked it more than I liked Top Gun. I liked it more than I liked Doctor Strange. And I'm a huge Marvel person, but this was an enjoyable time at the theater for me. I mean, I, I didn't have a bad time at the theater, but it was like a one star on Letterboxd. The fact that you're a Letterboxd person tells me everything I need to know about how you go into movies. So <laughs> that's that's that. All right, let's turn to TV. Um, I believe I've talked about some of these shows on previous episodes, so I'm not going to go into like Severance or Peacemaker, two shows that I thought were near perfect seasons of television for me, uh, doing very different things. I loved both of those. But um, a couple shows that I want to mention that I think might have flown under the radar. Um, one just came out a couple weeks ago in mid to late June called The Lake. It is a um, it's, a, it's a comedy uh, out of Canada. It's a series that has just or the season that just has eight episodes. Um, I really hope that it has a second season. It stars. Uh, were you an orphan black person, Jamie? Um, I have watched pockets of it and have loved everything okay. that I've seen, but I have never like watched it from start to finish. I'll say orphan black. I think the first season is possibly the perfect season of television uh season two and three were also good diminishing returns in four and five but um one of the stars of orphan black is uh jordan gavaris who plays in that show um the main characters uh, multiple main characters adopted brother uh felix he is the lead of this show the lake uh the the, the co-lead in the show is played by julia styles and they play um step siblings who have had a lifelong rivalry and they are effectively feuding over their family's lake house and throwing into the mix the fact that jordan who is a gay jordan's character justin is a gay man um who is reconnecting with the adopted daughter that he gave up when he was in high school um she is uh he is white she is part black the mother was is black um and so he's bringing her to the lake and he's they're feuding with uh the stepsister and trying to figure all that out. it was sweet it was really funny really smart it's a very queer show too um lots of like good positive representation in that department um really lovely show a quick watch eight episodes I, it was a, probably my favorite thing on tv this year um so i will recommend that uh that's on uh prime video on amazon prime video then over on hbo max actually it started on hbo but it's a, a very similar thing seven episode uh comedy ish type thing it's called somebody somewhere starring new york cabaret icon bridget everett um, she plays a woman who is kind of just kind of going through life in her hometown of Manhattan, Kansas, which is where Bridget Everett actually is from. Um, and she just kind of stumbles backwards into finding her own community and finding her own sense of self. It's a really lovely show. Um, also stars Jeff Hiller and renowned drag king Murray Hill. Um, Again, another very queer, positive show. Um, it has been renewed for a second season, I believe. So I'm very much looking forward to that. 
Um, and then one that just dropped on FX on Hulu this past week. I've already finished it. Another eight episode thing that is mildly a comedy. Uh, it's a show called The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, who people might know from Shameless. Also stars Iban Moss Backrack and Io Edabiri, uh, as well as Abby Elliott shows up, Oliver Platt shows up, John Barenthal, Joel McHale, Molly Ringwald all make appearances, some very small. Um, but it's about like one of the best chefs in the world who is forced to return to his Chicago home to run his family's Italian beef shop after there's tragedy in the family. And... Uh, Having worked in restaurants a lot in my life, although I was a server and not, you know, in the kitchen, lots of PTSD for food service. Uh, but it was really a remarkably made television series. And the penultimate episode, episode seven of eight, might be one of the best episodes of television ever made from both an acting and technical standpoint. So that's out there on on Hulu now. So The Lake on Prime Video, Somebody Somewhere on HBO Max and The Bear on Hulu three of my favorite things that I think might have gone under the radar for a lot of folks. Amazing. Have you watched any of those? Have you heard of any of those? I have heard of the lake because Julia Stiles, um, she is someone who just like should have had, she should be working consistently and like be, she should have had a big, not that she hasn't had a big career, but like, I feel like after the kind of like nineties, early two thousands rom-coms, she kind of just like fell under the radar somewhere. Yeah. And I don't know why. I don't know why she's a spectacular actress. Like she should be in everything. Um, so I have heard of the lake. I've not seen any of the, those three though. I, they're great. And what's nice about them is, is I like a good short series with good short episodes, <laughs> you know, like all of those shows, like the episodes are max 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do love that. Uh, what about you? Did you wa- have you watched any TV that you really enjoyed? Yeah, so I have, t- I have two that are, I, I mean, I've spoken a lot about, like, Hacks, Only Murders yeah. in the Building, which Both just dropped awesome. the second yeah. season um, right now, and the Hacks season two came out a few weeks ago. and So good. Or, I guess, a few months ago, but it was dropped, like, episode by episode, two at a time, so that just ed- wrapped season two, and um, both are excellent. The uh, Only Murders is on Hulu, and Hacks is on HBO Max, um, but the I mean my my favorite show so far is definitely Abbott Elementary. Um mm, yeah. I just I think that it accomplishes the comedy goals that haven't really in a way that like hasn't really been done since kind of like The Office and Parks and Rec. Um, but it's better than those in my opinion. And part of what I think is so spectacular about it is that most shows of that nature, including The Office and Parks and Rec don't really hit their sweet spot or figure out what they are until like season two. And Abbott Elementary just knew from the first episode, this is what we are. This is what we're trying to accomplish. There's so much heart, even in the, even in the characters that are like allegedly unlikable, like very quickly, you understand the nuance and the layers to those people in a way that makes you love and empathize with them. And I just think that that is so special and it's like laugh out loud funny. Um, and my other one is a is a pivot from that. It's um, a an FX, I think it's an FX show on Hulu, but it's definitely streamable on Hulu. Uh, Under the Banner of Heaven. Mm. Um, if you are a, it's like a it's a true crime show, but it's not even really like the crime is kind of secondary to the rest of the show. It stars Andrew Garfield as a 
um, police detective in Utah. He is Mormon. His co-detective is Native American. um, And they are investigating the murder of a Mormon woman and her baby. And the... um, they believe initially believe that the husband is is the one who murdered them. Um, and then you find out that it was actually his family. And it is the first show in a long time that is like a crime show that I usually when I watch like an eight episode crime thing, I'm like, this should have been a two hour documentary or a two hour movie. Like it, I don't need eight hours worth of this this was the first time where I was like, oh, I actually did. I maybe didn't need seven episodes. I think it could have been six, but I was so glad it was a series because what I think it did such a spectacular job of is establishing like, this is the Mormon belief system. This is where the, the this is where like the kind of um, fundamentalist Mormons have broken off. And it it really clearly explains the the break in those beliefs in a way that I think it's very easy to be like, ah, oh, Mormon's like a cult, ha ha ha. And like laugh at them. And it, it didn't feel that way. Like it felt like a very genuine look at what people believe. And then also established like where things go awry with the fundamentalists. Um, it didn't feel mocking. It felt very genuine. And I, and it also focused less on the crime and more on the Andrew Garfield characters kind of crisis of faith as he's uncovering things about the Mormon church and the fundamentalist Mormons and where that break in the belief systems happen, he starts to question his own faith. And I think that the focus on that and less on the crime is so spectacular and so fascinating as a character study um, that I found it to just be like absolutely riveting. Awesome. I love that. That's, I try to stay away from true crime. I used to work in true crime stuff, so I don't watch a ton of that, but I've only heard great things about that one. Some other things yeah. I'll shout out. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, was say, I think true crime, there are times where it can be really like exploitative and yeah. this didn't feel that way. Good. Like the crime really is just the catalyst for you to study Andrew Garfield's character and understand and like it I, I don't know it just it, but you don't ever like see the gore of the crime it's just kind of implied like he shows up to investigate and you know that he found a mother and her baby killed but like you don't see anything they don't reenact it um it felt very much like you need to know that this happened in order to understand the rest of the story but this is not what we're here to focus on um and then you saw like the mother in life. Like you would see these kind of flashbacks to who she was that made her in-laws so upset with her to the point that they would murder her. But like, you don't, the crime itself is not the, the focal point of that. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I'll throw out just a couple of things that I really liked. I loved outer range on prime video. Um, I love the old man that's currently playing on FX on Hulu is really good as well. Um, as is dark winds on AMC and AMC plus, um, after party, which I've talked about before, uh, see if there's anything else that is really, really good that needs to be shouted. I started watching the great pottery throwdown on HBO max too. I'm two seasons in. I love that as somebody who loves, as somebody who loves the Great British Bake Off, like this is a spinoff of that. So I love that. So I love the pottery one. After I finish all of the pottery stuff, I'm going to go over to Netflix and watch the glass blowing show. Oh, um, also, so have you watched the chocolate show on which, Netflix? Which one? 
Um, I don't know what it's called. There's I've watched a lot of different baking and chocolate shows on Netflix. Let me see. I'll, I'm going to Google it really fast. Okay, School you... of chocolate. School of chocolate. Uh, no, I don't think I have. Oh my gosh, it's it's insane. Okay, I'll put that on the list. Put that on the They're list. They're building like giant, like life size dragons out of chocolate. Like yeah, it's just see, crazy. Those, those are the things I don't. I don't get down with the like those like making something like uh, that looks fantastic like that's fine like i i can i can have a challenge of that here every once in a while but i prefer just like the doing the thing um but yeah we'll see but like you said loved hacks russian doll season two is a bit trippy but i enjoyed that uh nonetheless the ipcris file on uh, amc plus was also very good um real quick i want to shout out the two theater pieces that i've seen this year that i love the most um so far uh and these are again things that i'm seeing for the first time in 2022 if i've seen like i'm not including like company which i saw in 2021 or anything or six which i saw in 2021 and in 2022 so just talking about the things that i've seen uh for the first time here is a play by brenna turner called at the wedding uh which was at lincoln center theater lincoln uh, lct3 and it starred um uh uh, Mary Weisman, who I actually interviewed, she is one of the stars of one of the Star Trek TV shows. I don't know which one, uh, but she was great at that where she is going to the wedding of her ex-girlfriend who is marrying a man and it, she's kind of self-destructing, uh, but a really lovely show. And then one that, Jamie, that I am sure that if you still lived in New York City, you would have been at at least six or seven times because it seems like right up your alley and this is which way to the stage uh, from mcc three theater written by uh, anna nuguero and directed by mike donahue uh basically centers around two best theater loving best friends who stage door a, a musical called if then that stars adina menzel and it's a lot more than that it's a lot more about relationships and identity and and, and being true to yourself and figuring out who you are um but those are my two favorite shows theater pieces that i've seen this year and they're both short comedies so i guess that's kind of like my trend and very queer friendly i guess as well so uh a lot of my things this year have been short funny queer or queer adjacent and uh entertaining yeah um i have actually not seen a whole lot of theater uh but i did just buy a pasadena playhouse season oh nice they do such good stuff there they do such good stuff. And the next season is A Little Night Music, um, Sunday oh, in the Park. that's right. And and Bernadette's going to be there. And a Bernadette Peters concert and Sanctuary City. And there's another one that is escaping me right now. So I'm very excited for that. Um, I did just see Tambo and Bones at oh. Oh, the that's rough. Kirk Douglas. That is some heavy... Yeah, I saw it in I saw it in yeah. New York. I saw it at Playwrights Horizons with uh, with I think you're I don't know if you know Grace, but you are you know of Grace Aki. We went and saw it, and we were we were not uh, entertained. <laughs> it, yeah, it's it, yeah. Um, and then I also saw Lampika down at La Jolla Playhouse. Oh, so jealous. Um, which like I don't really want to comment on because. Uh, Matt, you and I have talked offline. It is a show that is still in its development process. And I, there is no creative team that I trust more to figure it out. So that I did see the Williamstown version um, and thought it was spectacular and really just needed like a slight polishing. And somehow in right now they're in the process of polishing where like you know how things sometimes get a little messier before they get really clean like when you start Mm -hmm. to tackle cleaning a 
cleaning a, a messy room and you're like, oh, the mess is going to get worse before it's better. They're in the it's worse phase. But I, I also could identify as I was watching it exactly what they were trying to do. Like I understood why they made the changes that they made. And I trust this creative team to fit those puzzle pieces together before it hits Broadway. It is being tracked for Broadway. And Eden Espinosa has quite seriously never sounded better. And she has always been spectacularly talented. She has never sounded better. Um, And I thought that Amber Iman was, she is uh, playing the role of Rafaela and I had never seen her perform live. Holy cow like i would listen to her sing all day long like she she was spectacular in that role so the bones of the show are really good and i trust that they're gonna figure out how to configure those pieces in a way that just becomes the next like hadestown or great comet um both directed by rachel chavkin both directed by rachel chavkin who is directing limpica so i just the bones are good the music, it's interesting, like the music is really spectacular, but it doesn't necessarily like, it's not a cohesive score. And so I think they need to play with some of that. Um, but I but I think they also, it's pretty clear which songs will stay. And um, you can listen to a few of the tracks on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you, wherever you get your music. Um, Woman Is is like probably the best it's the um, best it's the best new show tune I've heard in, in like a long years, time. Yeah. Like years. Um, it is listening to Eden sing that live, I was just like, oh, you I like because I always really liked and respected her work, but I wouldn't say I was like an Eden stan. And then I like saw it live with my own two eyeballs and I was like, it's, Well, now I have to like kiss the ground that you walk on because that was I that was superhuman. Let, let me ask you said. let me ask you a question. Is she the Julia Stiles of musical theater? Like somebody who there's no real good reason why she has not done more, but she has not been on Broadway since, I guess, the closing cast of Rent. But before that, it was really just Wicked and Brooklyn, which is where I fell in love with her, was in the cast album of Brooklyn. She did the national tour of Falsettos and has done things out of town, but like really has not gotten the the accolades and the opportunities that I think her talent deserves. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I would, I would agree. Um, I think, and I think especially seeing this, like I just, her, what she is doing is just on another level. And I, it's interesting. The Amber Mon role was played by Carmen Cusack at Williamstown. And I, they are very different actresses. So like, I was really curious to see how that played out. Um, The other person that I would maybe put in that category is Shoshana Bean, who's had a similar, like, she did Wicked. She was in Hairspray um, prior to doing Wicked. And then she was a waitress replacement. But, like, up until right now, she is in Mr. Saturday Night and received a Tony nomination. Until that point, like, she's another one that just kind of would go, like, forever without any role any real role or career and i think her and eden both similarly just um have should should have consistently been like working they should just be in everything i agree yeah i've I've interviewed eden before i interviewed matt gould who's the composer of limpica just 
while they were in rehearsals. Um, and he said that things were still changing. They had done a lot of changes during the pandemic and will continue to do changes until it comes to Broadway. Um, I know that they are currently trying to find a house for it. Um, because I am close with people connected with that production. So I, I know that they are actively looking to find the right place to bring it to Broadway, hopefully uh, in this coming 2022-2023 season, probably in the spring of 2023. So we will see what happens there. Yeah, I'm really, really rooting for it. It's just, you know, I, and and I believe that shows, I mean, look at like A Strange Loop. It took 20 years for that show to get to be what it is. Like it shows that are new need to have room to grow and evolve um, through the creative process. And so I think if you're seeing a show out of town in its pre-Broadway run, please go into that, into it with that mindset of like, you are the audience that you're the test audience. Like you're going to help this take its final shape um, and be like kind because most shows are not salvageable the way that Lumpika is salvageable and it the bones are so good I just yeah I'm really rooting for it I saw a show earlier this spring that you would think based off of the talent of the creative team and on stage that it would be something looking to come to New York and it very well might um I saw it out of town and it was not a good show like literally some of my favorite musical theater writers wrote it some of my favorite musical theater performers starred in it and it was not good. Uh, I talked about it over on a Broadway radio episode uh, of This Week in Theater a couple months ago, but not no bueno. So I'm hoping that if they do decide to move forward with that, they do a substantial rewrite. But anyway, yeah. let's get out on that. That is all that we have for today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land Stick to Sports Podcast. If you are finding this episode on our website, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your daily dose of podcasting goodness. And if you like our particular brand of disparity and eclecticness, uh, make sure wherever you're getting your podcast that you leave us a rating and review. Also, you can follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33. You can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt. Jamie, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter at, at Jamie Arch. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. For the six and a half of you that have actually stayed to listen this far, we really appreciate it. We will talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks. Go Bucks.